Through two games, the NBA Finals has delivered Celtics versus Warriors tied one game apiece. But who will emerge victorious as with the series heads to Boston? I'm Matt Thomas. He's Justin Goodrum. Welcome to In the Lab with Hoopsology. Let's start the show. Streaming on a Monday night. Welcome to In the Lab with Hoopsology. I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Justin Goodrum. Justin, how you doing, man? Good, man. What's going on, Matt? We're uh, two games into the NBA Finals, into the home stretch. Yeah, and I'm glad that we waited to this point. You know, we thought about like, well, maybe we'll do a game one reaction. Uh, maybe let's see how this plays out. I'm glad that, you know, we kind of waited for the Golden Series opening, you know, duo of games there to play out. We've got a little bit more to dissect because of that. But um, so far, off to a great start with the finals. Real quick, just some quick housekeeping. The show is still going strong. Uh, in spite of the season almost being over, our interviews and NBA content definitely is not. We just got done recording a great interview that I think you guys are really going to enjoy. So stay tuned for that. We talked about the conference finals last week. We had legendary photographer on recently, Joe McNally, that I think we've already plugged before. But very grateful for him for coming on the show, uh, as well as Trevor Lane to talk about the Lakers. Uh, some of that info is still relevant as we head into their offseason. And he called it. So shout out to him with uh, the Darvin Ham hiring in L.A. So definitely still keeping you guys up to date on current events with the NBA, as well as the bigger picture stuff as we get closer and closer to the draft. My Rockets have the third pick. Getting more and more excited for that to go down every day. But, Justin, let's get into the main topic for today, and, and really the only topic, although we'll discuss several things about it, the NBA Finals. As mentioned in the intro, our series is tied one game apiece, and the Celtics, as you all listening probably know by now, but just a quick summary, the Celtics take game one in Rather surprising fashion, very close, but the Warriors with a slight lead through the first quarter in game one. Keep in mind, the Warriors have home court advantage, so this is in uh, San Francisco, this is in California. Uh, so the Warriors lead after the first quarter. The Celtics take the lead at halftime, so kind of leapfrog the Warriors. The Warriors have a great third quarter, as they historically do, and that was also the case in game two, as we'll talk about. And then the Celtics put up an unprecedented 40 to 16 fourth quarter in game one. At one point there, it, it really seemed like a video game. They had like 10 straight points. They were just knocking down shot after shot in each given possession. So Celtics really impress, come out fighting hard in game one. Um, thoughts real quick, just about game one, Justin. And then I'll summarize game two for us. 
Yeah, um, not much to add. I think, you know, like everybody said, the criticism on Draymond Green is correct. He's the heart and soul uh, of that team. So when he is, you know, missing easy shots, when he's not active, that's going to cause a lot of problems. And I understand that. We'll get into Clay Thompson later. <clears throat> I understand that his production is down. But, you know, Draymond Green can't control what he can control immediately. Um, shooting's different. So if he's not playing well and the role players aren't stepping up, the Warriors are going to have a tough time. And so that was um, the tale that was going on in game one. Even, and I think that's why they felt comfortable, despite the Celtics really just being super sharp in that fourth quarter. It was pretty close, and I think the Warriors didn't really play that well. So I think they weren't really sweating it when it came to game two. After game one, you have narratives going around like, well, maybe at this stage of their career, Al Horford is more valuable than Draymond Green. I mean, you have to imagine Draymond was hearing some of this talk. It oh, yeah. definitely seemed that way as we got into game two, which was last night, Sunday night. Uh, so really, this game was fairly close through the first half. I would say that the Celtics outplayed the Warriors in the first half. We'll, we'll talk about this in a little bit. Um, we're really held back, in my opinion, by some officiating in that first half. I'm not really one to go at the officials, <laughs> historically speaking. But um, the Warriors, to their credit, they, they did come out punching, especially in that third quarter. Again, one of the best third quarter teams in NBA history showed up for the third quarter. They outscored the Celtics 35-14. to 14. And then basically a couple minutes into the fourth quarter, the Celtics had called off their starters. Interestingly enough, the Warriors did leave Clay Thompson in the game. And, you know, the announcers were a little bit worried about it. <laughs> People uh, on Twitter certainly were worried about it. But they play Clay Thompson through a significant amount of the fourth quarter. Uh, and the, war the uh, Celtics, excuse me, end up outscoring in this sort of garbage time quarter, 24 to 20, but the Warriors come out on top 107 to 88. So those are our first two games. I'm curious, Justin, did anything surprise you? Did anything stand out to you in these first two games overall? Um, I have to be honest, not too really. I think this, both teams are evenly matched. Um, I'll go to your point about the officiating. I think, your points is valid, but at the same time, the way that Al Horford's been playing, he can't just take four shots. I don't understand. He played 27 minutes, scored two points, took four shots. I mean, I just think if you're going to be more of a difference maker and claim that the refs took the game away from you, why did he take four shots? I just, <laughs> I just think that that's you know that's on the Celtics. And I think taking a look at the other players on that team, they did not play great game two. And I think they have to look, take a look at their production. Um, other impressions is I want to ask you about this whole Draymond situation that's yeah. starting to develop. And let's, let's start with one point, which was the play he had with um, Jalen Brown. Yeah. And they're both on the ground. They have a scuffle. Draymond got a technical earlier on in the game. Um, and there was debate to whether or not that deserved a technical. He kind of liked to push Jalen Brown. Uh, I want to get your thoughts since you <laughs> really had a strong reaction to your referees. Do you think Draymond should have been ejected during that moment? Yeah, so I, I did think officiating played a big role in this game. However, I do not think Draymond should have been ejected. Okay. Um, I, I'm not of the mind that uh, 
you know, he he was doing Draymond stuff. He was instigating. He was moving from player to player, seeing what he could get away with. Kind of just poking the bear, so to speak. He started off with Jason Tatum. Uh, he was doing stuff with Grant Williams. He was doing stuff with Al Horford. Uh, he really angered Jalen Brown, as you just mentioned, a guy who is pretty even keel. So Draymond clearly doing Draymond stuff. I don't think the officials did a good job of managing that. And let me let me expand on this because I want to be crystal clear about my point with the officials. So in my opinion, as I said earlier, I think the Celtics had a stronger first half than the Warriors did. Uh, even though it was very close by the end of halftime. I think the Celtics, now you can say this is, you know, what aboutism, this is what it could have should argument, but momentum matters in basketball. And you look at the Celtics, I think they got off to like a 16 to five start. It was, uh, it was very impressive given the desperation that the Warriors needed to have and did have for this game too. What I felt the officials did was, kill the Celtics momentum. You had a lot of these up in the air type of calls that you will get in playoff basketball, in tough physical basketball, which I'm glad to see that this series is no complaints there, but I would say conservatively in that first half, about 80% of the calls went to the warriors may have been a little bit more than that may have been slightly less than that. I'm going to try to be conservative and say about 80% of those toss up calls went to the warriors when you look at, and again, I don't, I didn't want Draymond to get ejected. Um, I, I thought it was very close. I thought he was flirting with it, but I didn't want him to be ejected. But you look at uh, the Tom Foolery, we'll say, with Jordan Poole uh, tripping. I, I believe it was Derek White after Derek White finished the layup. Uh, Jordan Poole, or no, I'm sorry, Jordan Poole went up for the layup attempt. Thought he got fouled. Derek White was coming back jumps over Jordan Poole, which you could argue that's not that's not the coolest thing. But Jordan Poole puts his arms up and trips Derek White and basically is not penalized for this, um, which I, I think was um, – I, I don't think it gets called that way in Boston. I'll, I'll say that. Um, so I do think when you have these toss-up calls – when you're on someone's home court, you expect the majority of those calls to go in the home court's favor. I think it was a little bit excessive even beyond that. That's my main point with the officiating. And I think that early on, they didn't really get this game under control to um, prevent some of those future situations from taking place, like with Draymond. I mean, you had plays where Draymond uh, was charging through like an offensive lineman pushing back um, players so that Steph Curry could get a wide open three, I mean, you know, stuff <laughs> that you would expect from an offensive lineman uh, making a hole for a running back to go through, for example. So um, that's my thoughts on the officiating. However, I will say that I think even if this game was officiated right down the middle, I still do think the Warriors get the win in game two. I, I think the desperation was there. And I think they do get that victory. So maybe that's a big nothing burger, but I do think it is worth pointing out that the officiating wasn't the greatest in that first half of basketball. Well, you're on to something if it gets super physical and there's a confrontation and things escalate. So, which could happen. We're in the NBA finals. So I think it's a situation where 
could talk about who could have been ejected, talk about, you know, going either way. But, you know, if there's something that happens that's a, a bigger situation, that's going to fall on the rest for not getting control of what's happened. So I get where you're saying coming from that point. Um, yeah, go ahead. Now, the other thing, uh, one more quick point to add. Yeah. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what this sets up. We've mm-hmm. seen this in the past. Draymond against Cleveland, yep. that iconic Cavaliers comeback in, I believe that was 2016. Um, you have sort of these seeds planted now where you get a lot of buzz from the media, from Twitter, etc. The refs aren't immune to this. The league isn't immune to this. You have an uproar already about some of Draymond's gameplay. Does this come back to bite him? in a game three or four when they're in Boston or just further down the series, like when they're in a critical game six situation, I think you can make an argument that he's putting himself at risk with this physical play. We'll see how much he's allowed to cross that line in these next upcoming games, but that could be potentially advantage Celtics that he's already had this sort of outburst game. I think it does. And I think he's going to be ejected. I mean, that's what it, that's his job. I mean, he's an agitator, so he takes risks. <laughs> I think the difference you can argue between what happened with Cleveland and now is what's going to happen with Jordan Poole, right? With Andrew mm. Wiggins, like with some of the other role players stepping up and not filling the Draymond role, but, you know, upping their offensive production. And what happens with Clay snaps out of his, you know, shooting slump. I think those are going to be three external factors that weren't there back in Cleveland back in the day. So. I think it's a given that, you know, he's probably going to get ejected. I mean, that's <laughs> that's what he does. He's going to do something, you know, stupid, something to, you know, agitate the Celtics. And I think the refs are going to only give him um, that much of a leash uh, for them to push the line over. And devil's advocate, too, you wonder, does the NBA have that recollection of how that 2016 series yeah, went down point. and – yeah. They're gonna they're gonna hold back to a certain point. Like That's we true. we cannot eject yeah. Draymond. <laughs> I mean, true. you cross certain lines, and and it does have to happen at a certain point. You would think. Um, but yeah, I, that's one of my main things. I'm really curious to see how it plays out. He's going to have to be a little bit more reserved when this series moves into Boston on Wednesday. And does that that need? give the Celtics now an advantage going back to their home court. Of course they get an advantage going back home. Uh, Another thought that I had that I just wanted to bounce off of you about these two games in general, because the Celtics won game one, I I think you and I both would agree the Celtics needed to win one of these games in um, California in order for either of our predictions projections to come true. You had the Celtics in seven. I had the Celtics in six for this series. Um, and so the Celtics needed to win one of those first two games. Oddly, because they won game one is good for us as NBA fans. I felt because you now have a desperate warriors team in basically, if they don't win this game too, they're in very, very deep trouble. Hard to imagine them, you know, gutting out two victories in those next two games in Boston. So I think just overall the Celtics winning game one, was a best possible outcomes for this finals, even no bias here, just as an NBA fan in general. 
I agree with you, especially counting on you know the Celtics' inexperience in the NBA Finals. I mean, this is particular Tatum, Brown, Marcus Smart, you know Al Horford, and the majority of this team, um, even their head coach. This is this is different. <laughs> the attention, the pressure, it is it's broken some other teams. So you're exactly right. I think you know having this series go seven. I think you know it's a good start by this series being tied one one. Uh, my only concern is that, you know, these games haven't been super competitive in the fourth quarter. Um, so hopefully we can get a little bit more drama. I think that's what the league is looking for from a rating standpoint. Mm. It's been kind of, you know, you take a look at both games, kind of decided, you know, earlier on either in the fourth quarter or even in game two. You know, I think the Celtics pulled all their starters pretty quickly. So um, hopefully we get more drama when it comes to the kind of the nitty gritty of the series. Yeah, I think game one was fine. I mean, you yeah. had a big swing both in the third and fourth quarter, but it was pretty compelling throughout to see that comeback. Um, there there weren't any starters pulled at any point in that game. Game two, I think you're spot on. I mean, we had a good half of basketball, and then that third quarter, things really unraveled as they have in the past, you know, when, when the Warriors get hot. Do you see any any sort of advantage, any sort of momentum carried over from those first two games. I mean, I think maybe you give, because the Celtics took back home court advantage, maybe you give them a slight advantage in terms of that. But do you think the Warriors got enough momentum back or figured something out in that game too to where they're going to be a real threat to split the series in Boston as as well? Um, I don't, I think the momentum's even. I think it's really close both teams have a lot of weaknesses and i think it's, it's dead even heading into um going to td garden i think what's interesting is you know steph curry really playing well um despite you know he's not shooting spectacularly but we're seeing him be the, the leader on this team so that's something we didn't really see in maybe the other finals appearances correct from wrong like him being the, the focal point of you know those other title wins so i think that's going to be a huge factor in terms of it's going to really come down to him if this game is close to hitting some clutch shots and really the role players as well. I think, you know, always we take a look at the finals. It's usually the star player and then kind of the others who are going to really make that impact. And so far, really, it's, it's split. I mean, we saw really um, the others really, you know, it favored the Celtics game one. It favored the Golden State Warriors game two. Um, but I think when it comes down to you know, both teams' guns are blazing in terms of playing a high-octane basketball. Um, I favored the Celtics, you know, in stopping and having that defense. But you never know. I mean, Clay Thompson, he's still capable of going off for, you know, 30 points in a quarter. You never know with him. Uh, but I think it's going to be – I think it's really close heading into Boston. Yeah, another thing that I saw on Twitter, I'll, I'll give him a shout-out, even though he needs no promotion from us. And, mm-hmm. and certainly I don't like all his takes, especially when it comes to basketball. But I do think Colin Cowherd here made a good point on Twitter where he said, the, and this is not a direct quote, paraphrasing here, the Celtics have four players in their athletic prime. The Warriors do not. Like the Warriors prime player or the Warriors star players are not in their prime. He said, there's something to that. And I, I tend to agree. And I think as the series gets longer and longer, that's advantage to Celtics. And defense is something that always travels. That's, you know, of course, a famous saying around the league, you know, defense travels and the Celtics have 
I, I do still think the better defense of the two. What the Warriors showed me in game two is that they've got defensive chops to keep up with the Celtics. Agreed. Now, I'd give edge Celtics as far as overall defense, but the Warriors impressed as far as that goes. The counterpoint to that, that, that I felt watching these games, and you can let me know if you agree or disagree, but I do feel like sort of the mystique of the Warriors, at least through the first six quarters of this finals, has been broken like it they don't feel to me like this same invincible team that's like oh my goodness steph hit a three. Oh my goodness it's lights out it's over in spite of two great third quarters in both of those games i do kind of feel like they've gone down a level in terms of their overall threat level now obviously they don't have kd so a lot of that is understandable it's a different roster we're talking about it's still as they've proven a championship level roster or at least a finals level roster. So I I say this not intending any disrespect, but it it felt to me through these first two games, like you could see you could see a pathway towards a changing of the guard and this being sort of like, well, maybe this is the last time for the Warriors in the finals. Oh, I disagree with that. I just, I see some of your point, but however, this with the Warriors retolling with Andrew Wiggins and Jordan Poole, I mean, those are really massive additions to to their squad. And, and now, and also to your point, I mean, I all star starter Andrew Wiggins. Yes, Sorry. <laughs> and no, you're you're right. It's true. And you take a look at Clay Thompson; he's coming off a massive injury, and I think we could both agree he has not looked himself so far this season. He's had some, you know, solid moments, but like the Clay Thompson of old, we have not seen him currently this season. So, in that regard, will we ever see that Clay Thompson come back? Don't know. And that's the magic of the Warriors, just having the Splash Brothers just destroy you. And I think having only one of them and having, you know, Poole and Andrew Wiggins play mediocre to just non-existent, I think you're right, that mystique goes away. But they do have those possibilities compared to years past. They were relying on, you know, the best shooting backcourt of all time with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry. So I think it just really depends if Clay Thompson shows up, if he's back. And really, Boston's play great defense, too. So I think it's a combination of Boston playing awesome defense and Clay Thompson not being in rhythm. So. Absolutely. Yeah, 100% agree with that. Um, I, I do have more doubts than you as far as the Warriors' longevity. You know, I, I questioned it. Uh, even before this season, which obviously was preemptive and, uh, especially with the way they've been able to retool. I, I think that's the biggest underestimation that, that I think just about everyone made was how well Jordan Poole was going to fit, factor into all this, how well Andrew Wiggins was going to be able to, um, up his presence as a role player on this team and fill that. Cause it's, it's still inconsistent from night to night as, as far as it goes that's with true. him, but it's a situation where on the warriors, that's okay. You can still have a lot of success in that role. So yeah, obviously very curious to see how the rest of this series plays out. Do you Last question I got, and then, of course, anything else you'd like to add, Justin? Any any sort of wavering at this point or nervousness about your pick of Boston in seven? Uh, not really. <clears throat> uh, I, I trust Boston's defense. I think through these two games, with, through the pressure, uh, Boston hasn't shown any signs of wiltering, 
which is great. Um, my only concern is just with Al Horford just being a factor in this playoffs, him taking four shots, I think is unacceptable. Like, I have no problem with guys missing shots. I know it's kind of cliche to say, but we are not aggressive. I think that's an issue when you're playing 27 minutes. So if he's aggressive, I think he's going to be a huge factor, and I think he's the X factor in carrying the Celtics to the promised land. But when their others are not being super aggressive, I think that's where the Warriors, they're just going to kill you. They're just too offensively good um, to not be aggressive on the other end of the court. I think you're right. I think that's going to be our key adjustment for Game 3. I'm glad you bring that up because Game 1, the Warriors just flat out did not respect Al Horford. They left him space, whereas Game 2, they made that adjustment. They didn't They didn't even let him have the high post on his sure. own. They were right up in his face. You know, Draymond, of course, being very, very physical with his defense. That's true. Um, sometimes questionably physical, but... Yeah. That that's the adjustment now that we're going to see Coach Udoka make. Can he get Al Horford those shots? Can their ball movement work in a way that they they land those open shots in Boston? You know, you would expect with the Celtics arguably being the deeper of the two teams, they're going to have more luck in Boston. Your bench typically shoots better at home. That's going to play a factor into that next game. If nothing else, should be a closer contest. Um, so I guess um, let me ask you one more question. We, we've got the series in Boston. Do you think these teams split the series in Boston as well? Does, do the Warriors get home court advantage back? Or do the Celtics take both? Warriors take both? How do you see that playing out if, if you had to guess right now? That's tough to say. Um Yes, it is. Because if the Celtics win both, you're talking about a 3-1 lead going back to Golden State. Obviously, the inverse is true. I mean, if the Warriors win both, it's basically good night, sweetheart, I think, um, (laughs) with it going back to California that way. I see a a split. Mm -hmm. I do. Um, I think these teams are very evenly matched. And I see uh, probably game three, I don't think being that competitive. To be honest, I think the Celtics win game three. And in game four, I think you'll see the Warriors um, come back and you'll be uh, just knotted up. But we'll see. Yeah, I like that. I I think these teams both have veterans that kind of have to pick their shots, you know. And it could be a a situation where in game three, if the Celtics come in as hot as they did in game two – there's going to be less incentive for the Warriors to push back, put in that extra effort when they know, hey, we just need one out of these two games. We've been here before. If we get one out of these two games, we get home court advantage back and we take it back to California with that home court advantage. So, yeah, I like what you said there. I agree. I, I do think game three, probably Celtics. And then game four, we see the counterpunch from the Warriors. I, I think... I think both of these games are going to be pretty close. I I think I'm with you if one of them is going to be a little bit more of a blowout. Probably game three, as you described it, I would agree with that. And then game four, super close and contentious. But um, I'd probably give the edge to the Warriors there, which would be a dream scenario. We have the series tied up two games apiece going back to california for that anything else that you wanted to cover uh have you been pretty happy with the broadcasting coverage if everything else around the finals um i think i don't know i don't have a problem with i know some people don't like jeff van gundy and 
um, Mark Jackson in there. I don't have a problem with them. However, I just think with all the broadcasting changes, I like Boris Burke. Um, I just think with the the tired stick, uh, I'm just get some new blood in there. Just like either <laughs> with it, all due respect. <laughs> I don't know. I just don't like like Jeff Van Gundy's get off your long soliloquies. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I, I just put Doris in there um, and just keep one of them. I think that I think they they would approve. Whoever you want to take out, I don't care. Um, but I don't do I have an issue with them. I would say not really. Um, but however, I just think with the pandemic, I think there was a good just with all the COVID changes. I think there was an opportunity to give Doris some love there. I know she does the ESPN radio broadcast, but I don't know, just an observation. But you know, ABC seems to like them. So yeah, you'd have to think like if Mark Jackson were to ever take a head coaching job or yeah. something like that, you'd have to think she's right in line to. Probably slot into the that main broadcasting okay. group yeah. people have been talking about it for years now yeah. uh, at this point so great well i think we're gonna cap it there we are just under 30 minutes so we're doing a good job keeping our commentary down that's the first two games of the series let us know what you guys think do you guys think golden state has this in the bag do you think we're right about picking boston in six or seven let us know what you guys think. Get at us on Twitter if you like, at HoopsologyPod. Um, I am at the trainer's take on Twitter if you want to hit me up or follow me. He is at JustinTime16. Justin Goodrum, Matt Thomas, signing out. Enjoy the games this week, Wednesday night. Enjoy the interviews that we will have on our podcast feed. Please subscribe over there. If you're already subscribed, we thank you so much for being along with the ride with us again for Justin Goodrum. I'm Matt Thomas saying peace out. See you later.